Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today we're joined by a game master, aspiring game designer, and definitely not an agent of a vaguely menacing quasi-governmental agency, Brian Marr. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs? Well, I've been in the hobby for roughly 15 years now. I started right around the time that 3rd Edition came out. At the time, me and my friends were regulars at the local game shop playing Magic. One night we were there and most of our group didn't show up and there was a guy who offered to run a game of D&D for us. We'd never uh, heard of it before and we were like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Sounds like fun. We ended up spending the entire first session. Our game started with us being shipwrecked on an island at third level, naked, without any of our gear. We ended up spending most of the session shrieking in fear at what turned out to be a wyvern giving off a dragon call. Do you remember your first character's name? Hmm, that is an excellent question. I can't say that I remember his name. I do know that he was uh, a halfling rogue, as many start with. Did you play more with the same GM? We only got to do a couple of sessions with him because we came to find out he was in the military and he shipped out. And another of the locals in the shop picked up the slack from there and we ended up running... The first campaign that I ever reached the conclusion of with him. It was a crazy romp through the multiverse that ended with my character being the only one who showed up. And I hadn't been there in session, so I didn't really know what we were doing. And I accidentally broke the universe. And what was the epilogue to that game? There wasn't really much of one. We Apparently we got to uh, an object that... Worked like a Rubik's Cube, you could twist it around to any number of runes representing things, and I twisted it around to the only one that I knew, an X. And I put it into the pedestal, and the laws of the universe broke. That was as far as we, he ever went into it. When did you make the transition into becoming the GM? I'd say that was probably around six or seven years ago. It was when I first started getting into the uh, getting back into the hobby after a hiatus in high school. After I got out of high school, I met up with a new group who was interested, but there was very little interest in anyone GMing, so I picked up the slack, and I've grown to the point where I find that I actually prefer it most of the time now. Did you start with the story, or wanting to just run the game so that somebody would run it? Well, initially it was purely just because somebody had to do it and nobody else was stepping up. So if nobody else was going to organize it out, I figured I would. I've always been a big fan of story and I really like following a thread through, but running games, I always find that it's better to start off with a very loose plan and see where the characters take you. Was that something you had learned from the first GM? That's a good question. I'd say that it's probably a lesson that I learned from him more indirectly. As That wasn't really how he did it. It was a pretty solidly on-rails game, but it was a really loose sort of game where people would drop in and out every week all the time, so it's kind of hard to keep consistency in that situation. I think that I picked up from just my own personal play style that I always enjoyed most trying to break the game, as it were, and go off in a direction that wasn't planned for. And so when I started running games, I just started planning for myself. When you came back from the hiatus to start gaming again, which RPG system did you use? Well, for the longest time, my main system was definitely uh, D&D, but shortly after I uh, got into the hobby in the first place, I learned uh, World of Darkness settings and immediately fell in love with Hunter. 
uh, Hunter the Reckoning. But when I really started running games again, it was largely in Big Eyes Small Mouth, actually. A kind of obscure, a slightly more obscure game that used the TriStat D6 system. It was all about running anime-themed games. And later it started running Exalted as well. When you're looking at a new system to start GMing in, are you more concerned with the tools it gives you to tell a story or the tools it gives you to guide players in terms of rules and mechanics? Uh, It depends on the system, I suppose. Um, Largely, I'm looking for ways to incentivize players, I'd say. Um, Moving... Uh, I, I generally find that as long as you can push the characters, or push the players towards doing actions that their characters would take, the story will flow from that. So I, do, I tend to not worry so much about the story as getting the the players moving. I always look for a synergy of mechanics. I want them. I want the mechanics to help push characters towards building a better story. So I guess a mix of the two. Are you currently running any games? At the moment, I am running two Star Wars campaigns in the Fantasy Flight Games system with their proprietary dice. Um, one of them is uh, much is uh, an Edge of the Empire game that's uh, gritty, trying to survive on the fringes types. And the other one follows Service Corps Jedi, who almost became not quite Jedi before Order 66 happened, and now they're trying to survive with the small group they managed to rescue and stay under the radar. Did you want to run something in the Star Wars universe, or did you have players that wanted to run something in the Star Wars universe? It was absolutely my choice to run a Star Wars game. I immediately fell in love with the system when I started listening to the campaign podcast from the OneShot Network. I really loved the idea of the dice and how they support really weird outcomes, because you can end up with a success, but also a threat, and also a despair or triumph, because there are these different axes that the dice resolve along. It was actually a bit of a sell to get my players into, because it's a little bit crunchier than we have tended towards in recent years. But once we got the system down, it's been a lot of fun. Did you have any growing pains as a GM with the system? It definitely took me some time to get used to it in the first place. I mean, uh, the layout of the books I found just doesn't work great for my brain, and being the main one getting familiar with the mechanics, I was the one guiding character creation a lot, and as a result, the characters ended up pretty broken to start with. But after a couple of sessions, we were able to write that and get things back to the way they're they're supposed to be. More than anything, though, my uh, biggest issue with the game is not resolving the dice rolls myself, because the GM is only supposed to resolve negative results on the dice, and the players get to decide what happens with the positive stuff. And I'm so used to a more D&D-style game where the the narrative duty falls much more on the GM. But I always find it's much more satisfying when I do let go of that and let the players come up with things, because they always come up with stuff completely out of left field and never would have seen, and those are the moments I live for as a GM. Do you try to stick to your script, or do you like folding those left-field moments into your narrative as if they had always been there? I always make notes of things that players do and their backstories and do my best to weave them in and use them as uh, strings to pull on the characters and get them going the place, the general direction that I want them to go. A lot of the twists and turns that I've had in the especially the Edge of the Empire game I've been running have been completely uh, the result of characters doing things I never would have expected, like managing to talk down the villain instead of having to kill them, or turning themselves in at a crucial moment. 
the kind of things that are they're really heavily dramatic uh, story beats. As presumably a fan of the Star Wars setting, is there any part of the setting that you want to stay away from? The main thing that I'm trying to keep away from in my campaign is the Anzat species, because they're they're sort of a weird hidden enemy body horror kind of thing. They're a species of humanoids with reddish skin that feed off of the brains of other sentients through long proboscis tubes that they protrude out of their cheeks when they're feeding. But when they're not feeding, it's, you can't, uh, you mistake them for any number of other sentients. And there's just something about them, that species specifically that represents to my mind, a whole lot of trouble that I don't want to get into. It just doesn't feel it's like space vampires, but mixed with the bugs from starship troopers. And I just can't, quite get my head around fitting that into Star Wars. What about having your parties interact with famous characters from the series? You know, that's an interesting point. It never even really occurred to me for the most part. I mean, in my Jedi-themed game, I've run a module wherein there's a ticking clock to... Darth Vader arriving, and if they don't escape before he catches them, then they're doomed. And that was really well done. It was a lot of fun to run that one, but that's probably about as close to the important characters as I really want to get. The main saga of the Skywalkers is all much too prominent, and my stories are also kind of set in specifically in timelines where they're less likely to run into those things. One of them is set after the original trilogy, and the other one is set just after the prequels. So all of the main characters are kind of off busy in their own specific small sectors, and it's really easy to avoid them. So I guess, yeah, I hadn't even really thought about it, but I definitely do try and keep away from the major players of the world, as it were, for the most part. Did they make it out before Vader arrived? Oh yes, they managed to get out in the nick of time. I got to have a great dramatic scene where they blew out the catwalk behind their ship and he was left there in the open walkway with his cape fluttering in the smoke. It was really cinematic. And just as a thought experiment, if they decided to stand their ground and attack him... What would you have done? Well, I mean, I probably would have... I don't think that I would have gone with the text of the module and had them just die. I would have let them play it out as a fight, which would have given them the opportunity to escape. But if they proceeded to just bullheadedly throw themselves against that rock, I would have to let the rock break them. There's only so far that I can go protecting the players before... The narrative demands that they end dramatically. Are these games in person, or are they over the internet? Um, it's an interesting sort of mix. Both of those games I run online via Tabletop Simulator, which I really enjoy as a playing aid. I personally like it better than Roll20, but... All of my players are local, and we all get together locally once a week for different games, just not the ones that I run. Are there any specific mods or plugins for the tabletop simulator that you prefer? Well, there's a ton of user-generated content on the Steam Workshop for any number of games that you can find. And so I have a nice galaxy map table to play on and and somebody went to the trouble of making a 360 environment of just outside the constructed uh, second death star that's a nice 3d image of a sphere of space next to the second death star while it's under construction 
And all of that really helps to set the tone for the game. But more than anything, the really nice thing about it is being able to import images on the fly from the internet so you can make tokens or pull up maps and such. I'd never really run games before this one with maps, and I had never realized just how much of a benefit they add. Do you do anything else like playing music to add to the ambiance? Oh, yes. Um, I run the chat side of the game, the voice and whatnot, through Discord, and we have Dinobot set up in our channel so I can pipe in the opening music for Star Wars. I tend to prefer the Clone Wars opening themes because I do my... I then do my opening crawl in the style of narration of an opening ep- uh, from an episode of Clone Wars. Uh, and that, I find that to be really helpful in setting tone. I'd like to get more in-depth with it. I've played the Force theme and such, but I've never, I haven't quite been able to figure that out yet. Now, the two groups that you are running, is there overlap between players, or is it all the same players? Oh, uh, yeah, there's about... Uh, half of the group is overlap. I've got five players in the one group and four players in the other one, and uh, share two players between them. Do you or they bring in elements from the game that takes place earlier in the timeline into the game that takes place later in the timeline? I definitely like to play around with that somewhat myself. Um, I can't say that the players have done much with it, although we've talked about it a bit. One of the players has talked about how his characters would probably be better swapped, and so if we could figure out how to make that work in the continuity, that might be fun. But I've definitely had a couple of recurring NPCs show up in the game that takes place later in the continuity and then have them revealed later in the earlier game to give some context to them and show how time has changed them and such. Since you plan these games as if you are playing against yourself, when you are trying to think where the storyline is going to go, how far ahead do you try to plan? The way I like to approach constructing a campaign is I I start off, well, in the first session, I started just completely open. I have a single scenario with a couple of objectives to achieve and leave it open to the players to figure out how. But after a couple of sessions, once I've gotten a feel for them and what their characters want to do and such, I will uh, then plot out and figure out where ultimately the game is going at least in a sort of vague way like the edge of the empire game is heading towards a terrible choice just based off of the actions of the players and such i am pushing towards uh having a terrible ending as a result of some of the players that have been introduced as a result of their actions and i leave it largely open of how we get there I just have major story beats that whenever it seems dramatically appropriate, I'll have happen. Along the way, I plan out individual scenarios, again, with a basic objective that they're trying to get to and leave it open to them to determine any number of ways of doing it. I've been listening to D20 Radio's Order 66 podcast since I started running the game, and they talk about running your game, or about preparing your encounters in modular form so that you can pick them up from one place and drop them in wherever they fit. And I've really taken that to heart. With a system like Dungeons & Dragons, there's the ideal party composition. Do you have that kind of problem in the Star Wars RPG? That's definitely one of the nice things about the Star Wars RPG. It's a lot more open as to the specific roles that have to be filled. Um, Everybody can do a little bit of everything if they want to do that, but if everyone wants to specialize, you can largely gloss over the parts that the characters aren't interested in in various narrative ways, and the system is pretty forgiving of that. Because it's Star Wars, it's not as strictly structured 
as dungeon crawls. You don't always need a rogue to disarm traps and such. You could just go do something that your character is actually suited towards. To that end, the power level differential is really interesting in Star Wars because a starting level character is already really competent and can be put in a party with a character with a whole bunch of experience. And the character with a whole bunch of experience will have a lot more specific buttons they can use, but they'll both have as equal of a chance of doing some damage and surviving an encounter. Did the players in your campaigns have any crosstalk between what kind of role they were going to fill within the group, or did they work individually, then bring all their characters together? For the Edge of the Empire campaign, there was a bit more specific discussion of player types beforehand, but largely that was facilitated kind of secondhand through me. I was largely approaching it and expecting it to be more D&D-ish. As to the other game, the Jedi game, that one we kind of already started from the beginning of having the four Jedi, uh, the four service core schools as the places to pull from, so we kind of had one of each to begin with, which kind of already led to party diversity. Even so, with all of them being Jedi, the variation amongst them was not that not nearly as high as it was in the edge of the empire game could you walk us through the process of designing an encounter for your groups uh my process tends to be fairly loose i, I tend to write down for my uh, for myself i use specifically character uh, stat blocks for npcs i'm going to use and i pre-plan my maps and I just have a sort of narrative in my head of if this, then that sorts of situations. Like, if they go into a bar, then the, I will have this encounter where we'll start off with them rolling dice to see if they notice the guy who bumped into them. That one was uh, actually a module from the Corellian Sector core book that went off interestingly with my players. They ended up in possession of a stolen chip, uh, stolen data chip that the local authorities came after. So in my Edge of the Empire campaign, I have actually introduced the controversial Yuzan Vong into the game, although I've heavily reworked them for a number of, uh, from a number of angles to make them hopefully more palatable and for the most recent session of that they found themselves inside of a defunct world ship as it was falling apart and i had planned for them to uh make their way from one part of the ship to the next as it was falling apart to either make it back to their ship or to take out the creature who had led them there calling on its uh cohorts to come save it. And along the way, there are various objectives, trying to get air masks and make it across one reach of space to the next. If they wanted to, helping the other NPCs get to their ship and escape. And I guess ultimately my planning tends to be fairly loose. I have in my head the things that they might want to do, and I let them choose from those and let consequences roll from there, and the dice. The dice in particular, and I guess ultimately the main things that I do for prep is I have maps, and I have stat blocks, and I let the players show me where it goes. In the other systems you GM'd, did you tend to stick strictly to the dice results, or did you tend to fudge? It depends. I always try to stay pretty close to the dice, but if it's going to be a kind of situation where a character meets an untimely end purely because of the result of bad dice, I'll fudge that a little bit. Um, I'll turn it into a dramatic wounding blow or have a deus ex machina of a NPC they'd helped before show up or some such. But 
I try and I definitely try and keep that sort of intervention few and far between. The if you don't honor the rules of the dice, at least most of the time, then why why even use dice? Do you find the fantasy flight dice help facilitate that kind of saving at the last minute? Oh yes, uh, most of the time they work really well towards making uh, towards having interesting outcomes. I believe statistically on those dice the most likely outcome is failure but with advantage, which is the perfect kind of thing for if you're jumping across a chasm, you don't make it, but the advantage is that you grip the edge at the last second and are still holding on. How long have these games been going? I believe I started the Edge of the Empire game around November of last year, and the second game started in January. Have there been any character deaths yet? Uh, no, nobody has died so far, at least none of the player characters anyway. The Star Wars system is pretty forgiving of character death. So the way that it works is when you reach your zero hit points, you roll on the critical chart on a percentile die, and you have to get 150 to die outright. You get there by adding up additional critical wounds that you can accrue through the game. So it's pretty hard to just outright kill a character. That survivability is a really nice buffer for me because I don't ever really want to kill the characters unless that's what they're looking for. That being said, I do have one of the players in the Jedi campaign is going to be looking at exiting sometime in the near future. So we've been talking about him making a grand final stand, but that's a little bit different. Is he planning on becoming more powerful than you could possibly imagine? It is definitely one of the options on the table. It's also possible that he might end up being horribly wounded and captured and turned into a villain later in a dramatic turn. Oh, come on, it's Star Wars. Good guys never turn into bad guys. Yeah, right? Uh, nobody's ever seen that. With that buffer for survivability, do you ever have trouble making sure the players know that there are consequences for their actions? That is an interesting question. From my end, I feel like the uh, session or like the players almost always walk away a lot less or a lot more unscathed than I would prefer. But if you were to ask them, I get the impression that they feel like they get beat up a pretty solid amount. So it's a little bit hard to gauge. For the most part, though, I feel that the consequences that my players face tend to be much more about the consequences they face tend to be a lot more in the fiction than specifically on their sheet. Although it is somewhat mechanized because because there is obligation as a rule, and that's for owing people money or having a bounty on your head and such. In that way, the squeeze is kind of always on them because they're always just barely scraping by with enough money and they always have the huts on their tail and such. And almost every session, one at least one character gets to the point of being knocked unconscious. And everybody also seems to forget up until that point that falling unconscious in this game is not instant death. So they seem to be pretty mortally afraid. Is there an aspect of the fantasy flight rule set that you don't like? The one part of the system that I have yet to really get my head around is starship combat. Um, I can tell that there's some really good rules there to make some interesting dynamic battles happen, but I just cannot, for the life of me, make them work in-game or just in my head. I have been toying with for a while picking up the Star Wars X-Wings miniatures game and learning that system and just supplementing Starship Combat with that instead. There is a system that was developed by players 
that allow characters to do it as an RPG, where they actually level up their ships and their pilots. It's called Heroes of the Aturi Cluster. Oh, that's interesting. I'm definitely going to have to make a note and look into that. It's a fun way to play the miniatures game as a co-op campaign, but you do have to worry about the ships not having that same buffer that a character would and being somewhat prone to exploding if you're not careful. Oh, yeah. And that is part of the problem with Starship Combat in the Star Wars RPG, too, is um, while personal combat is pretty easily survivable, your ship can blow up pretty easily in Starship Combat and catastrophically. Because of the scaling of the damage, it's Starship Starship weapons and such do 10 times the amount of damage as personal weapons, so it is actually pretty easy to die outright in a Starship explosion. Have you specifically avoided Starship situations in the games, at least in terms of combat? Yeah, I've definitely largely gone pretty light and narrative on Starship combat. I've had a couple of quote-unquote big battles in the em- in the Edge of the Empire game wherein I was largely using mass combat and just rolling one uh, set of dice to resolve more or less everyone except for them and a handful of people they were fighting. And so largely the starship combat in Edge of the Empire is, yeah, at the end of the session they almost always inevitably have to escape through a starship battle into hyperspace, and so they have to wait a couple of rounds before their hyperdrive spools up. And that's about as much starship combat as I usually do there. And in the Jedi campaign, just none of the characters are specced for starship piloting or combat, so I mostly just leave that to the NPCs around them. Now that there is new canon coming out for the Star Wars setting... Do you have trouble reconciling your past knowledge of the expanded universe with the new rules that are being established? For example, if your players were on a starship on the surface of a planet, would you let them jump to hyperspace? That is a solid question. Um, So largely, the new canon has been a good thing for me because... I never really delved that deeply into the extended universe until I started running this game, and that was in the past year. So the reset of canon was one of the things that made it feel more accessible to me, because there was so much less of it to have to learn and be familiar with. I could just start with new canon as a baseline, and then anywhere that there wasn't enough information for my liking, I could either fill it in myself or I could look at the EU stuff and pick and choose from there. New canon has kind of been the main reason that I'm willing to run a Star Wars game. To that end, would I let them? Would I let my players jump to hyperspace in atmosphere? I think that I would require a triumph on the roll. That's fair. Having that sort of specific restriction is one of the reasons I really like the dice system. Running two games in the same setting at the same time, do you ever suffer from Star Wars fatigue? I don't feel so much uh, fatigue from the setting as I do feel a little bit guilty in the Jedi game because I feel like I don't have quite as much energy to devote to running it, so I don't feel like they get my best GM self. So more it's just that running multiple campaigns is stretching me thin in my abilities more than getting me sick of the universe. Is there anything you do to recharge your GM batteries? Mostly I just try and keep the time keep the space between the games fairly even so that i have at least a few days recovery and prep time between and doing the actual prep work of putting together maps and stat blocks uh always gets my creative juices flowing as to what 
these stat blocks represent and how they would interact. So the act of setting up a game is probably the thing that gets me most energized for running a game. Second only to having had a really good session and the how you get off of that. For each party that you are currently gymming for, what have they done that has surprised you the most? I would say in the Star Wars, or in my Edge of the Empire game, they that game, they do a pretty solid job of continually surprising me by taking left turns. Like, the fighting an overwhelming battle, and instead of running away, the key character deciding to turn himself in to save everyone else. And the big bad that they were able to subdue and capture that led them off on this whole other terrible side story arc that didn't go well for them. And in my Jedi game, the biggest surprises are much more about the players themselves. One of my players is a Wookiee in both games, but they are very dramatically different Wookiees to an extent that I'm really proud of him for being able to pull off. One of them is a rough-and-tumble mercenary type, and the other one is sort of soft-spoken and reasonable, and he's the one who has become sort of the face of the Jedi party in a way that I am really pleased to see him step up to. And so, whereas his other character is always the one to resort to violence the quickest, this character does a good job of keeping everyone else from resorting to violence immediately. That's a lot of growth for him. And what about the time you've surprised the players the most? Hmm. In the Edge of the Empire game, the biggest surprise from my perspective and from the reaction it got in the group would be of the ship brain. So in the first session, they stole this really fancy ship from... Uh, an Inquisitor. And over the course of several sessions, they slowly sussed out that the ship seems to have an intelligence to it, beyond just your standard ship brain minimal artificial intelligence. Eventually, they successfully managed to uh, unravel the secret and discovered that the Inquisitor had captured a small creature he had mistaken for a renowned pod racer and had their brain installed in his ship to control it for him. When I finally got to reveal that and give them full control over the capabilities of the ship after they negotiated with the brain, that was a really pleasant, surprising moment to them. Also the moment that one of the characters found out he was a clone, that's my personal favorite moment. It was a really fun, dramatic turn in the game. And it did a good job of sending him on a different arc. As to the Jedi game, I don't know, I suppose I'd have to ask them what was the most surprising moment. To my mind, that one has been a lot more more like running D&D modules in that it fits a more conventional, a relatively conventional mold for the narratives. Just by dint of that's where the players want to take it. If I were to pick a moment in that one, it would probably be having them chased by Darth Vader. It was shortly after the Clone Wars, and was the first time that I ever touched directly on such a prominent character. So probably using that module was the most surprising thing, if I were to put myself in their shoes. Going back to that clone, is it a clone trooper? Or are we talking like Luke? Um, a little bit of both. It's a bit of sort of EU mad science craziness of a secret plot by the Kaminoans trying to genetically encode force sensitivity into clones. And so there was a small group of the... So they are still... Django Fett clones, but they were 
modified such that they were they didn't age rapidly and they were designed to be more receptive to the force although the program was deemed a failure at the time now it's 20 odd years later and the few clones that managed to get out by the help with the help of some jedi who learned of the program and shut it down have mis- have all of a sudden started manifesting powers do you have a favorite NPC? That is a tough call. I try not to get too attached to NPCs by and large. I think I'd probably have to say Pin, the Chadrafan brain inside of the ship in the Empire game. Being a Chadrafan is really upbeat and uh, always sees the best side of the situation, even though he's a brain in a jar. The players were nice enough to build him a remote-controlled droid body, so now he has a telepresence in physical locations as well. And he's just really fun comic relief. He's definitely the most fun NPC for me to play. Do you do voices? I do a little bit of voice work. I'm not the best at it, but I try. Do you imagine characters that you would play in your own setting if somebody took over the role of GM? I don't think about characters specifically to my the, the flavor of Star Wars that I've been putting together through my games, but definitely in the broader Star Wars setting, and the characters that I tend to have in mind would probably fit in pretty well with these groups. I very much would like to play in more Star Wars campaigns, if only to get a feel for how other people run it, so as to incorporate more of that into my own style. So what is your ideal Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG character that you would play? Well, the character that I have had just kind of on the books for a while that I've just been waiting for the chance to play is Han Ibal, a uh, mercenary commander Duros, the blue species with the big heads and the red eyes. He's basically Hannibal from the A-Team, but in Star Wars and largely largely geared towards fighting Force users, although he himself is not a Force user. He comes from an elite Imperial unit that was designed to find and eradicate force users before they were fr- they were framed for crimes they didn't commit and sent to a maximum security prison on the edge of the galaxy, where his crack military unit worked together to escape into the galactic undergrounds, and now they help those fighting the Empire and looking to right wrongs. His main weapon is Cortosis gauntlets, so he can punch people in the face with big, thick, meaty metal gloves and catch lightsabers. And what's the group's equivalent of a really cool van? This game has been kind of uh, nebulously in the works for a while, and we just have, we're short a couple of players, really, is the big thing. It's me and the B.A. Baracus type, who is... Uh, I don't remember what his number was exactly, but he's an IG series uh, assault droid. Our van is a Lambda-class shuttle, the like same shuttle that the Emperor uses to get to the Death Star in the original trilogy, but painted up all black with a cool red stripe along the side. Is the droid's designation IG-MRT? That is... A good one for sure. I believe it's IG Carabas because instead of BA Baracus. Also a good one. Does it have a mohawk? Ooh, I should definitely suggest to him he put a mohawk on there. Across all the games that you've GM'd, what has been your most gratifying experience as a GM? I think probably. The thing I'm most proud of is the uh, player is my Wookiee player who's showing real growth towards being able to approach situations in less violent means. 
because uh, I've been playing with him for a number of years now, and for the longest time, he has had the hammer and nail syndrome of always fighting the thing uh, first, and sometimes, or even especially when it's a bad idea. And just for him to be able to get to the point where he's recognizing other forms of resolution is really just the fact that I've been able to get him towards that is really rewarding to me. It's ultimately a problem that in the greater group, I'd like to work towards a little more of. I'm always trying to push for a little more emotional nuance and a little bit less face punching in my games. And I'm always really proud whenever I can get one of those moments in there and get buy-in from the players. I'm going to start wrapping up, but before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Baron Altpivo. What is your favorite word? I think I am going to go with inconsequential. I just like the feel of the word. What is your least favorite word? I think I'd have to go with moist. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? More than anything, emotional nuance in creating situations where emotional buy-in becomes possible. What turns you off? Uh, resorting to violence is a uh, first resort. I think you picked the wrong profession. Fair. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? I think I'd go with shit. Can you think of the last thing you did that got that reaction? Uh, probably the characters in the Yuzan Vong world ship finding the place falling apart around them. What sound or noise do you love? I love the uh, mixed sort of groan and adulation of rolling a triumph and a despair in the same roll. What sound or noise do you hate? The silence of the group when I call for the next slot in initiative and ask who wants to take it. What game system would you like to attempt? I really would like to get a solid session of the patrol done, but that's a game that I've attempted once before and haven't really managed to get going. So as something just purely that I haven't tried, Dogs in the Vineyard. What game system would you not like to attempt? Oh, it was, um, there was a game on one shot a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, the other role-playing game, Torg Eternity. I love the idea of that game, but it the crunch of it is too much for me. I, would, I wouldn't be able to do it. When your games conclude, what would you like to hear from your players? I think more than anything, I'd like a like moment of sort of shock silence and then a whoa. And lastly... If you could travel back in time to watch one person sneeze, who would it be? Hmm. Who probably sneezes interestingly? Um, you know what? Because of the problems I've always had of sneezing and blowing my nose with a mustache, I'd like to see how Charlie Chaplin does it around his little mustache deal. Is there anywhere the insiders can follow you or anything you'd like to plug? Well, for the moment, if you're looking for me on the internet, just search for Observer138. I'm not really that active in most places except troll or except just uh, creeping in the background on the Discord servers, but you can usually find me on Twitter too. For the future, keep an eye out for games from Lacerated Spleen Productions, as that's the design house that my friends and I have put together for putting out creative endeavors. Is there any keywords 
that we should be looking forward to? Well, at the moment, I'm working on a game about running for president as clones and another game about making a deal with your boss, who is the devil, as a uh, customer service worker. So any number of words you want to pick out from that smattering of stuff. Thanks for joining us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Inside the Master's Studio is an Audio Entropy original. You can head over to audioentropy.com for more content like Cosmic Call, an improv comedy podcast hosted by Luke and Ashley. You can follow this show on Twitter at ITMS underscore podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a message or an email to insidethemasterstudio at gmail.com. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, you can lead an NPC to the party, but you can't keep the party from ruthlessly killing them. writing the backstory for your tabletop game characters just as much as the adventure? Ooh, yes I do. How about creating fun, kick-ass, and inclusive characters? Oh, I like that. If you answered yes, then check out All My Fantasy Children, a tabletop character creation podcast hosted by me, Aaron Catano, and my best friend, Jeff Stormer. How cute. Together, with our powers combined, we create a new character every single week with the help of listener-submitted prompts and a variety of cool tabletop games. But where can I find it? Find all my fantasy children on SoundCloud, iTunes, Android Play, and on Twitter at AMFC underscore podcast. Hey, party people. My name's Jeff Stormer, and I host a show called Party of One. It's a podcast about role-playing games. Games like, but not necessarily, Dungeons & Dragons. Every week, I sit down with a guest one-on-one to explore what a game like Dungeons & Dragons looks like when played with only one player, and what a role-playing game designed explicitly for two people looks like. And along the way, we tell some tabletop stories that range from funny, to scary, to sad, to occasionally sexy. The show can be found at soundcloud.com slash partyofonepodcast. Join me, won't you? And party on.